Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. This is an Imaginative Storm podcast, so thank you ever so much for tuning in. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you're interested in Walter's music. And this show was first aired on WPVM-FM out of Asheville, North Carolina. If you would like to reach out to me, nave at imaginativestorm is my email. And if you would like to join me and my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston, any Saturday morning for our Imaginative Storm writing prompt of the week gathering, we would love to have you. 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon Eastern Time. You can find the free Imaginative Storm Zoom link at imaginativestorm.com along with some free downloads and other resources for writers. So hopefully we'll see you on one of the calls. The title for this podcast is Write What You Don't Know, which is also the title for the Imaginative Storm book that Allegra Houston and I have just almost completed writing. It's going to be available November 2022. You can find that link at imaginativestorm.com as well. So today, keeping with the theme of write what you don't know, I'm going to record what I don't know. Or to put another way, I'm going to just let things bubble out and give you a report from Paris. I'm sitting at a table looking out a window. It has a little balcony. It's an apartment overlooking rooftops, seventh floor. And the rooftops have chimneys coming out of them, different kinds of chimneys, different shapes, a pigeons flying by now and then. And on top of the chimneys, you'll have these old television antennas. And they are no longer in use. A few wires dangle down. And you don't see many television antennas anymore. We don't need them. We have the wireless systems and the digital systems. And you are probably listening to this show by way of some digital format. Or maybe you actually have your radio turned on because the show does air in Asheville and also in Taos. And some people maybe listen to listen to this show and listen to KCEI and Taos and WPVM-FM in Asheville on a little radio sitting on their desk. So however you get the show, you probably aren't streaming it by way of one of the old antennas that are on top of your house if you in fact have one. The window I'm looking out of over the terrace with the table that's a bit sun-worn because the table's always in the sun because the terrace faces east. It's in Paris, Paris, France. I've been coming to Paris now for many years. I may have mentioned this a few times on the show. My best friend John Van Hassel lives here, so I often come to see John, and I have the opportunity when I come to do often do a workshop, which I did this time. A group of us went out about 40 kilometers east of Paris to a yoga center, and we had a weekend of, of writing from the imaginative storm to the creative form. Now you may be wondering, what does a weekend at a yoga center, writing from the imaginative storm to the creative form, rooftops, antennas, and you listening to the show have in common? Well, details, coming back to the antennas on the roof. They're, they're rusty, they're w- worn out. 
they are no longer in use and yet when I look out over these rooftops at these remnants of what once was a few jet trails going across the sky because we're not too far from a major airport I think about all of those times in my life when the television antennas were the most important thing we had for our house because back when I was growing up in Western North Carolina in the 50s, television had just arrived on the scene, not so much different than artificial intelligence right now. Television, artificial intelligence, doesn't quite rhyme, but you kind of can hear a false rhyme there. And I mean false in the sense that it almost rhymes. So there's a little bit of truth in a false rhyme. I'll let you take that wherever you want. We had the television antennas above our houses when I was growing up, and they were makeshift. I remember my grandfather, who lived down the lane from where my mother and father and, and we lived, and my grandfather had erected his television antenna on top of his roof and he had this steering wheel if you will it was this uh, directional uh, lever that you could move round and round and it would reposition the antenna to get the different signals that were coming from the different places so we had a signal coming from Greenville South Carolina there was another one coming from Spartanburg, and then, of course, there was the signal from Channel 13, WLOS. Now, if you live in Asheville and you look west, crossing what's called the Smoky Park Bridge, going to the Westgate um, Shopping Center on into West Asheville, when you cross that bridge, just before you get to the bridge going west, if you look to the horizon, you'll see Mount Pisgah. The WLOS antenna was on Mount Pisgah, so when we were children, my father would always point out the antenna. He would see that's that's where the signal comes from. Look look at that antenna up on the top of that mountain. And we would squint and look toward Mount Pisgah, and sure enough, when the light was right, you could see this tall antenna. And I always thought it was something magical about that antenna being so far away, and yet we were able to receive the television programs through our rooftop antennas coming down into our little black and white televisions that were plugged in in, in, our, in our houses. And I also marveled, and you can marvel to this day if you happen to be driving down I-240 crossing the Smoky Park Bridge. And those of you listening in Taos, if you'd like to take a nice vacation, you can always go to Asheville and drive across the Smoky Park Bridge and see what I'm talking about right now. Mount Pisgah hasn't gone anywhere. The Southern Appalachian Mountains are ancient, of course. So where would Mount Pisgah go? It's still right there. And when the sun sets behind Mount Pisgah, you can see the silhouette of the mountain just as right now the sun is rising over the rooftops of Paris and I can see the silhouettes of the chimneys and the old antennas that have the remnants of the wires dangling down going to nowhere. So you can 
look west and see Mount Pisgah. If you look slightly to your left as you're looking west, crossing the Smoky Park Bridge, you will see another mountain that looks like a rat. So not only did we have Pisgah and the antennae growing up out of the mountain, tall enough to see at that great distance, likely 15 or 20 miles, I would estimate, you could also see the other mountain, Pisgah and the rat. And the rat even has a little tail. So the rat is always climbing Mount Pisgah. Now, does that matter? Sure, it matters to the imagination of a child. So even to this day, when I drive across the the bridge, I just before I get there, I, I always look at Mount Pisgah. And I always see the rat, and I smile a bit. And it also reminds me of the other things that I, or the other thing I liked to do when I was a child. I loved to look through a small telescope at the full moon, and I often wondered if I could see the man in the moon. Now, of course, my grandfather, my father would always point to the moon and say, there's the man in the moon. Well, it's really a few craters and a face that looks somewhat like a, a man's face. But when I would look at the moon, I would look through the telescope and I would think, well, I wonder if the little man is running around on the moon. So I was making another fanciful leap as as children always do. The child's mind doesn't require any kind of limitations, although those limitations do tend to emerge as you go through life. I'm sure you understand that. And when I say limitations, I mean the imaginative uh, resistance, the imaginative governance, if you will. I'm going to govern my imagination so that I know logically that there's no little man running around on the moon. Although in your imagination, if you even now allow that idea to form a bit, somehow your imagination might believe that there's a little man running around on the moon. Might be a bunch of people running around on the moon. Why limit it to one little man? So the next time the moon comes up and it's full and you look through your telescope, if you have one, or a pair of binoculars, maybe you can imagine a bunch of people running around on the moon. What good will that do you? Well, it won't do you any good at all, except maybe it's a humorous idea. You may not even have to look at the moon to imagine it. You might be able to just do that right now. I mean, think of the last time you saw the full moon coming up. I saw a full moon the other night. I went to a friend of mine's full moon party on Point Azar, which is the wooden bridge that you see in the movies. If you haven't been to Paris, you've probably seen a movie about Paris. Emily in Paris is a Netflix show right now that's good fun, lots of fashion, and people running around Paris taking um, taking their, their lives and their work very seriously in the show. It's fiction, of course. And often you'll see that bridge especially if somebody's falling in love, they usually walk across the bridge and have a kiss. And maybe even if they're lucky enough, they'll have a kiss when the moon's rising over the rooftops of Paris, like the sun's rising right now. So I went to the full moon party and sure enough, a couple of fellows were there with their telescopes looking over at the full moon. So I have no idea if anybody standing on that bridge the other night was thinking, are there people running around on the moon? I Maybe, maybe not. I gave it a little bit of a thought as the moon rose over the rooftops, and it was a beautiful ivory October moon. And it was faintly still just light, twilight, 
almost dark, and yet the moon lit the sky, and there was something freeing about it, something eternal, something warm, maybe, certainly imaginative. So even if you don't realize it, all of those experiences you've had all your life come together in, in every moment. Uh, the eternal now, some people call it, Pisgah and the Rat, the telescopes, the full moon, the television antennas, and then, of course, back to the televisions that we enjoyed years ago. And still, to this day, we have those screens in our lives. Now, some people reject the screens. They'll say, it's awful, it's awful. And indeed, if you are watching 12 hours of television or seven hours of television every day, I would submit that maybe you might want to look out the window and see what's outside. You can really become addicted to a television screen and to the shows. That said, uh, the television screen also has great opportunities for our imaginations to really indulge themselves. And I must say, I enjoy watching the great movies and the series that stream across my screen on Netflix or Amazon Prime or HBO or you name any one of those platforms. Now, where does that come from? When I was a boy, back when we had antennas on the roof, and we watched our black and white televisions, I remember enjoying the cartoons on Saturday morning, the shows on Saturday morning, and I also remember going to the movies. I was in love with the movies, and we had two theaters in Asheville at the time. One was called the Imperial, and the other was called the Plaza Theater. And, oh, there was another theater in Asheville at the time called the Fine Arts Theater. Now, of the three, the Fine Arts is the only one still standing in Asheville. Imperial, the Plaza Theater, and the Fine Arts Theater down the street from the Plaza Theater. And I remember going to the Imperial more than the Plaza. I don't know why I liked it. Maybe I liked the name. But I would sit there on Saturday afternoon and eat my candy bars and watch movies. And the only movie that I really remember that influenced me was Old Yeller. Now, if you've not heard of that movie, I wouldn't blame you. It was a long time ago. But it was about a boy who had a dog. And it's a tragic ending because the, the dog ended up getting rabies and the boy had to deal with with the dog's rabies. I won't tell you the ending in case you do stream it. You can probably stream it on YouTube. Hey, here we are, modern times, no antenna needed. It was a poignant story. It was a strong story. And I remember identifying with the boy because the boy was close to my age. That's what happens when you watch movies. And I just remember going on Saturdays and watching those those films. And as I grew older, we went to the drive-in. There was the Dreamland drive-in, no longer in Asheville. As I said, the only movie house still standing in Asheville that was standing when I was growing up in the 50s, the 60s, the Fine Arts Theater. Now, the Fine Arts Theater, unlike the Imperial and the Plaza, the Fine Arts Theater was the adult cinema 
when I was growing up. We were not allowed to go there. We drove past it, and it had XXX written on the marquee, and then there was the titles after that. Somebody meets somebody and does something. You can use your imagination to figure out what those titles said. But my mother and father didn't even want me to look at the marquee. We drove right past it. I, I never went to the fine arts. I was not allowed to go there. And finally, the fine arts closed, as those old theaters did. The Imperial closed as well and turned into a shop in downtown Asheville. I don't know if it's actually even there now. In fact, now that I think about it, it's a parking lot. It's a parking lot rather than a, than a shop. And then the Plaza Theater was torn down, and the Diane Wortham Theater replaced it in the location where the Plaza once was. So in some ways, the Diane Wortham Theater in downtown Asheville still has many, many shows and many opportunities to be entertained, just like uh, we had when I was growing up. And, of course, the, the, the Fine Arts Theater, it still stands. It is now a fine arts theater. First-run movies, um, offbeat movies, foreign films are shown there. Uh, John Cram started that theater or re renovated it. John Cram is no longer with us, but he was a very influential uh, artistic supporter and artist who lived in Asheville and did many, many things. He had lots of different businesses. Blue Spiral was one down in Biltmore. So John Cram came along and really helped renovate Asheville and bring it to the place where it is now, which is a vital, medium-sized American town, fully mature with all of the amenities one might expect from a town of 80,000, servicing an area of a couple of million if you include all of Western North Carolina. Taos, New Mexico, where this show is also aired, has a similar artistic vibe, although unlike Asheville, which is the size of Santa Fe, Taos is smaller. Taos would has eight to ten thousand people in the in the city limits, plus another thirty in the the county area. Now that would be similar to say uh, Brevard, North Carolina, or Hendersonville, North Carolina. Smaller towns, yet still centered around Asheville. Just like Taos is a smaller area, and it's not as centered around Santa Fe. Santa Fe is further south. So for those of you listening in Asheville, giving you a bit of a geographic reference there. And for those of you listening elsewhere in the world, well, hey, just look at a map and you can kind of get a sense of what I'm talking about. This is all important to me because as I tell you these stories, my memories come back, they emerge. And when we were at the writing workshop this weekend outside of Paris, 40K, at this yoga center, many of the people were telling their memoir stories. And the idea at the workshop was really simple. Write from the imaginative storm to the creative form. Trust that your memories will generate worthy stories, if you will. And we also had the theme of write what you don't know. Write what you don't know. So you might be thinking about right now, well, how can I write about what I don't know? If I don't know it, how can I write about it? Or how can I tell it as a story? Well, what writing about what you don't know really means and the assumption behind it 
is that you actually do have the information somewhere inside of you. The inspiration for the imaginative storm comes from a line that Charles Wright uh, penned in his long poem titled Lonesome Pine Special. And the question he asks, it's the line in the poem, the question is this, what is it inside the imagination that keeps surprising us at odd moments when something is given back that we didn't know we had had in solitude, spontaneously and with great joy? Now, you can change the pronoun there and ask the question with the, the personal pronoun, I or you. Uh, what is it inside your imagination that keeps surprising you at odd moments when something is given back you didn't know you had had in solitude spontaneously and with great joy? That's a great question. It's a question that's easy to understand, rather hard to answer. What is it inside your imagination that keeps surprising you at odd moments when something is given back you didn't know you had had in solitude, spontaneously and with great joy? You didn't know you had it, so you did have it somewhere in there. You hadn't really forgotten it. It was just a piece of information that you hadn't noticed lately or you weren't aware of. Now, that's in the past, the current moment right now, the eternal now. All of that information is in there. So when you do the imaginative work of thinking of the rooftops over Paris with the antennas or Mount Pisgah with the rat crawling up it or people running around on the moon, there's something about that stimulation the imaginative stimulation that invites the information that's in there that you are unaware of to maybe just hop out. It emerges, boom, suddenly it's there. And when it pops out, you will often say, well, I didn't know that. I hadn't remembered that till just now. I didn't even know it was in there. So that's what, what we mean when we say, write what you don't know. So when we were out there this weekend, people were writing about their memories, writing about those things in the past that were starting to emerge within their stories. And as those stories emerged during the workshop and people read their work out loud, they were surprised at what they remembered. And their guards were down. They weren't trying to present themselves as anything important. It was just a group of people all speaking English, all sitting around in a circle, just telling something that seemed on the surface very simple. And yet, underneath, it was very complicated because the stories were all tied to all of the other experiences, experiences they had had throughout their lives. I think this is significant because it's important to remember the stories we tell, the things we write down, can include and must really include a great deal of, of uh, simplicity, the very simple things. Which means when you write your stories or you tell your stories, you don't have to really make them all that complicated. You don't have to be fancy with your language. You don't have to show off. All you really have to do is connect to a memory and start to tell the story. I'll come back to 
the antenna on the rooftop my grandfather put up and the dial that he put on the inside of the house so we could arrange the antenna on the roof to get the different stations from Spartanburg, Greenville, and Asheville. The reason I bring this up was because years ago when I was living on Pine Lane off of Brevard Road. None of that's there anymore. It's all commercial. Uh, the house where I grew up is now an exit ramp that goes off to I-26 off of Brevard Road. House is no longer there. The memory's there. People pass through the exit. They have no idea what went on way back when. Well, I lived in the little house down the lane. My grandmother and grandfather lived in a little house moving toward Brevard Road, which was a two-lane way back when. My grandmother had a black-and-white television that was connected to that antenna that my grandfather had on the roof. And in the summertime, I loved to go down to her house in the afternoons and sit with her while she watched her soap operas as the world turned i believe was one of her soap operas the guiding light was another some of those soap operas i think are still on to this day so my grandmother would sit on her couch with a needle in her right hand a a, a thimble on her left thumb and and she would hold the needle with two fingers her right hand and she had a quilting frame in front of the couch so my grandmother would sit at the quilting frame on her couch she had a little seat that she would sit on to raise her up so she could reach over and put the threads into the quilt and she would make quilts while she watched the soap operas and I would go down and I would knock on the door or actually I never knocked I just walked through the door and there she was and she was always glad to see me and I don't remember if she ever offered me anything. Occasionally, she did offer a little piece of cake. She was very frugal with her cake. She didn't give me a big slice. She had grown up in the Depression. Now, if you're listening to this show and you're younger, you maybe 30 or so or 40, you might not have a reference to the Depression. I don't have much of one, but I do know that during the Depression, things were hard and people didn't have a lot of cakes to share. So... My grandmother continued that tradition of frugality. So whenever I would get a little piece of cake in the afternoons while we watched soap operas, it was always a thin, small piece of cake. But I remember how important it was for me to come in in the afternoon and adjust the antenna so that she could get just the right signal. Now, in a sense, that hand adjustment was similar to our, our Wi-Fi routers and the distances we sometimes have when we don't have good Wi-Fi connection. You know what that's like. You, you're connected in one room, but then you go to another and your bars drop and it gets a little fuzzy. Well, that was really how it was when I watched these soap operas with my grandmother. And, and I was kind of the Wi-Fi router guy. I would move the antenna around and, oh, just a little bit more. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay, stop. You can stop now. And I think one of her soap operas was on WLOS and the other one was, was coming out of Greenville. So we would switch and that's how come I had to move the antenna around. So as we would watch the, the soap operas, I would get so engrossed 
in in the storylines and they were simple storylines about romance or you know somebody was breaking up or a new child had arrived on the scene or somebody had left and returned with with a jewelry around their necks or whatever and it went on and on and on and my grandmother and I never said very much she would just stitch and watch the soap operas and now that I think about it telling you this story I am beginning to appreciate even more and more what is it inside my imagination that keeps surprising me well I'm realizing that those simple times eating the cakes little slices sitting there beside the quilt being made watching those black and white soap operas that's where my fascination for storytelling came from. My grandmother, simple in her dress, sewing, me watching the soaps, the little stories coming over the screen, turned my imagination into, into a curious proposition. Now, at the time, I thought I was just watching soap operas, and after the soap operas were over, I would say thank you, and I would run back out into the summertime and play into the evening in what was really um, an idyllic in environment. Now, I didn't have an ideal childhood. There were things that happened. I will say my father was a World War II veteran. I may have mentioned that before on this show. And he did bring some of the war, World War II, back home, I'll let you figure out what I mean by that. You probably had an experience like that, too, if your father was in a war. So you have to learn how to accept, accept all of these things. But in terms of the environment, in terms of growing up in the summertime in, in western North Carolina, it was and still is a, a beautiful, beautiful environment to, to experience a childhood. I'm thinking of Dylan Thomas's poem Fern Hill right now. If you would like to hear that poem read by some really great readers, uh, Prince Charles, who is now King Charles, actually, you will be surprised to know that if you go to YouTube and you Google his name, you will read him, you will hear him do a terrific reading of Fern Hill. But Fern Hill by Dylan Thomas really describes what Western North Carolina was like to me. And so it's time maybe to sorbet the moment with Fern Hill, the poem by Dylan Thomas. I will tell you, I memorized Fern Hill in France in 1985 when I first came to Paris to visit my friend John Van Hasselt. John's apartment is on Rue Dauphine in the 6th arrondissement, and he's been there for many, many years. He's been there since 1985, and I've been going to the same little flat or apartment since then. And when I first came to Paris, I went south on a journey through the countryside. It was 1985. It was very different vibe than it is now, and yet the countryside in France was beautiful, just like the countryside in Western North Carolina. And if you grew up in Taos, it's a different vibe there. You have sage, you have vast vistas, and yet you have beautiful fields and lots of, of water there. So there's a country vibe that happens for people who grow up in these country environments. So I memorized Fern Hill, and hey, it's a good time to offer it up, even though it's fall now in North America. 
It's always kind of an eternal spring in the imagination. So here's Fern Hill by Dylan Thomas. Now as I was young and easy under the apple boughs about the lilting house and happy as the grass was green, the night above the dingle starry, time let me hail and climb golden in the heydays of his eyes and honored among wagons I was prince of the apple towns and once below a time I lordly had the trees and leaves trail with daisies and barley down the rivers of the windfall light and as I was green and carefree famous among the barns about the happy yard and singing as the farm was home in the sun that is young once only time let me play and be golden in the mercy of his means and green and golden i was huntsman and herdsman the calves sang to my horn the foxes on the hills barked clear and cold and the sabbath rang slowly in the pebbles of the holy streams all the sun long it was running it was lovely the hayfields high as the house, the tunes from the chimneys. It was air and playing, lovely and watery and fire, green as grass. And nightly under the simple stars as I rode to sleep, the owls were bearing the farm away. All moon long I heard blessed among the stables the night jars flying with the ricks and the horses flashing into the dark and then to awake and the farm like a wanderer white with the dew come back the cock on his shoulder it was all shining it was adam and maiden the sky gathered again and the sun grew round that very day so it must have been after the birth of the simple light in the first spinning place the spellbound horses walking warm out of the whinnying green stable onto the fields of praise and honored among foxes and pheasants by the gay house under the new-made clouds and happy as the heart was long in the sun that is born over and over i ran my heedless ways my wishes raced through house-high hay, and nothing I cared at my sky-blue trades that time allows in all his tuneful turning so few and such morning songs before the children, green and golden, follow him out of grace. Nothing I cared in the lamb-white days that time would take me up to the swallow thronged loft by the shadow of my hand in the moon that is always rising, nor that riding to sleep I should hear him fly with the high fields and wake to the farm forever fled from the childless land. Oh, as I was young and easy in the mercy of his means, time held me green and dying though I sang in my chains like the sea. And there you go. That's Fern Hill by Dylan Thomas. I love to recite that poem, love to read it, love to say it out loud, because it reminds me of 
growing up there in western North Carolina. Reminds me of going down to my grandmother's house and watching the black and white shows on her television. There was no color back then. We did eventually end up with a color television set many years later, but it was black and white for a long time. And it reminds me of playing in, in the fields behind her house, the chicken barn behind her house, the blackberry bushes, the the cornfield my grandfather took care of. We didn't have a farm. It was just a little country area we all lived in. And of course, we, we grew our vegetables and whatnot in the summertime. So what is it inside your imagination that keeps surprising you at odd moments? So as I'm reading Fern Hill, my imagination is constantly surprising me. I'm remembering things like the smell of my grandfather's tools in the basement. Haven't thought of those in years and years and years or how dark the basement was. And I would often stand at the, at the door of his basement, which was underneath where my grandmother watched the soap operas. And I would look in there and I would smell it. And he was always in there inventing and making things. But it was greasy and it was dark and a bit of a cavern. Now, in my memory, I think of that as ideal. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe, maybe the dark basement was a metaphor for secrets. I don't know. So when you are thinking about telling your stories, so when you're thinking about all those times in your past, you can trust they will deliver what they need to deliver write what you don't know what you don't know is actually right there inside of you and there's something liberating about that and what's liberating about it is there's no responsibility to know it you don't have to remember it your imagination will remember it for you all you have to do is just relax and smile and watch the sun come over the rooftops of the world and things will pop out you will never be able to control what pops out. That's the beauty of it. You just never know what's going to happen. That's why it's spontaneous and it's surprising and there's great joy because when something pops that you haven't thought of in years, maybe completely forgotten, it's brand new. It arrives as if it happened in that moment, in the eternal now, right here, right within that second, which is really all we have anyway. Past is gone, the future is, doesn't exist, the eternal now is what's right here. It pops in that second. So you might be able to say, and I, I'm going to speculate here, that when those memories emerge within that moment, that moment of now, it makes the moment more precious. So the memories that you thought you didn't remember pop up, you say, I didn't know that. They pop into the now, and then they become memories again that you store in your memory, and they integrate and, and mix with what's already there, and thus the story starts changing. So can a story ever be the same? No, it's never the same. It's always brand new, just like every moment is brand new. So you are a repository of all that you have ever experienced. There's a line in Ulysses, 
written by Alfred Lord Tennyson. And funny enough, it's a line that my mother said to me, and I've often said it on this show, so you may have heard me say this before. You may know what's coming just now. And my mother would say this line to me when I was a boy. Now, this boyhood that I'm talking about, I just recited Fern Hill for you, and I told you about my grandmother. Well, framed within this was my other grandmother, Roberta, who was a poet, even though I wasn't. I didn't, I wasn't much of a boy of letters. I didn't know much about poetry, but I, I did know that there, there were books around me, and my mother would always say to me, you are a part of all that you have met, yet all experience is an arch where through gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever as you move. Now in the poem Ulysses, Ulysses is speaking, so he says, I am a part of all that I've met. And of course, you are a part of all that you have met. And that's why you can trust your imaginative impulses to generate this material. Now I am in no way romanticizing all of the memories you have. I'm not romanticizing the memories I have. Life is joyous, and life is also hard. There are difficult times that come around. Things happen to us. We get sick. We have conflicts with other people. We have disagreements. We have birthday parties. We have fun times. All of those memories fit together in this repository we call self. So somehow, if you want to carry this just a little bit further, you are a part of all that you have met. And everything that you have met is there. It is inside of you somehow, and it exists within every second. So even though you may be unaware consciously of all of these memories, so regardless of what you do in your life, maybe you don't identify yourself officially as a storyteller or officially as a writer. Maybe you officially identify yourself as whatever you do or, or however you've lived. Does it really matter? You do tell stories. You will sit around a table and tell your friends what happened yesterday or talk about something you did in the past. If you ever go to a college reunion or a high school reunion, you will talk about the memories of the past and you will marvel at how everybody stayed the same, although of course nobody can ever stay the same. It changes moment by moment, as I've said. You are a part of all that you have met, yet all experience is an arch where through gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever as you move. So the stories are there and in that line, Ulysses says, the margin fades forever and forever as he moves, or your margin also fades forever and forever as you move. Well, the margin stays the same. If you're sailing on the sea, no matter how many days you sail, you'll still look out and the margin of the horizon will be about the same, probably the same distance. I don't know, I'm not. Uh, a, a navigator, but I, it, it at least appears the same distance. So there's an eternal now, which I've mentioned. There's also that eternal horizon that never changes and yet constantly changes. So there's the contrast that we have. So what do you do with all that? You don't have to do anything with it. Maybe you can just 
enjoy the memories you have and trust that other things will pop out. As I've been telling you this story, this narrative, this radio show, Twice Five Miles Radio, we've traveled a little bit of a distance. You know, we've gone from the rooftops of Paris to the antennas on the roofs that you grew up under. My grandmother's antenna, her stories, her soap operas, the chickens in the barn, my mother, my grandmother, um, my friend who lives here in Paris, uh, my time at the Tibetan Buddhist Center in the south of France, uh, Fern Hill, oh, when I was young and easy under the apple boughs. We've traveled a, a bit. And as we've been traveling, I'm still sitting at the same table. I have my iPhone on the table, and the sun now is shining in my face. So time has moved on. So as we end our time together, I have a few more minutes with you. I would like to offer you a, a writing prompt. As I mentioned, I did a workshop this past weekend with a group of people in the yoga center. 40 kilometers east of Paris, and we did writing prompts. I've also mentioned our Imaginative Storm writing prompt of the week gathering that Allegra Houston and I do every week. And for the last couple of years, Allegra and I have been playing around with how to stimulate one's imagination, how to stimulate your imagination, how to stimulate our imaginations. And we've been experimenting with writing prompts. Now, We've been experimenting with these prompts in the same way that one might write a recipe book. I have a friend here in Paris. Her name is Susan Loomis. She has a website called Dancing Tomatoes, and it's all about how you make French food. Susan has written many recipe books over the years. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I know that when Susan puts a recipe in a book, she has tested it over and over and over again, so she knows that it will work when you make the recipe in your own kitchen. And it works because she's worked it. She's experimented with it. She has cooked what she didn't know, if you will. You write what you don't know, you cook what you don't know. And so Allegra and I have put together a series of writing prompts that are now going to appear in a book that we've written called Write What You Don't Know. Hey, how about that? Title, our theme, Write What You Don't Know. And so in this book, Write What You Don't Know, we have 40 prompts designed to encourage your imagination to generate those memories that you didn't know you had had in solitude spontaneously and with great joy. And those writing prompts actually work, and the reason we know they work is because we've tested, tested them in our, our kitchen, or actually we tested them at the table in Allegra's kitchen. No, we didn't boil them on the stove, didn't put them in a pot, didn't steam them, didn't bake them in the oven, but we did bake them in our conversations, and we did discover using the prompts with people uh, throughout the last two years that the things really do work. So I'm going to offer you a prompt and you can use it if you like. Uh, it's actually quite actually quite fun. So here, here's how it works. So what I'd like for you to do is to get a piece of paper and pencil, sit down at your desk, and think about a place that you know very well. 
Now, if you happen to be in a room you know very well, that won't work. You have to think of one in your imagination. Another room might be, might be your bedroom instead of your study, if you happen to be in your study instead of your bedroom. So you get the point there. So get the place in your mind, and the more familiar you are with it, the more um, fun you will have with this exercise, because you will discover what you don't know about what you think you know a lot about. So the prompt is, I don't remember. I don't remember. Now, you might be thinking, I, I probably remember everything about this room that I'm so familiar with. Maybe. But if you start by saying, I don't remember what will happen, you will start to think about the things that you haven't thought of before, like your favorite room, the one you've spent so much time in, your study, for example. Do you remember the first time you walked in the room? Maybe you do. Maybe you remember the moment you walked in the room and you knew it would be your study. But do you remember exactly what time of day it was? Do you remember what the temperature was out outside? Do you remember what was in the room when you walked in the room? Now, maybe the room was completely stark and there was nothing in the room, so you might remember that. But you might not remember, even if the room was stark, how many plugs were on the wall, the, the electrical plugs. You might not even be able to tell, tell me how many windows are in the room right now, even though you've been in the room many, many times. I don't remember. So when you sit down and write about what you don't remember, you will start to remember more things. Now, the other thing that happens when you write something that begins with, I don't remember, your, your readers, the people listening to you, and they can be your readers reading on the page, or they can be your, your, your listeners if you're telling a story, they will fill in the blanks. So if you write about a place that you remember well, for example, uh, here's a little story just to, to close us out and get you warmed up. I don't remember exactly what time of day it was when I first arrived at my friend John Van Hassel's apartment on 38 Rue Dauphine in 1985. I don't remember how many steps I walked up to get to his sixth floor flat. I don't remember exactly what he said when he opened the door. I would like to think he said, hello, welcome, come in, and he may well have said that. I don't remember what was in the room when I walked in the door. I have no idea if there were tables and chairs there. I would like to think so, but I don't remember. I don't remember what I did when I first sat down. I don't remember what I said to John when we first started to have a conversation. I do remember it had been 15 years since we'd seen each other. I don't remember all that happened in that 15-year spread. I do remember I had gone back to college and gotten a degree. I do remember that it was June when I first arrived, but I don't remember the date. I don't remember, like I said, what we said to start with. But I do know now that it's 2022. I do know the sun has come up over the rooftops of Paris. I do know that within an hour I will go back and knock on John's door again and he will greet me and we'll have another conversation. I do know that I am still here 
And I do know that you're listening to this show, and I hope that when you write about what you don't remember, you will start to remember those things you thought you didn't know or you didn't know you knew. And I do hope that you will take the time to sit down and and write, I don't remember. Now, one note before you start this process, please time it. 10 minutes is all you need to do this. And write, I don't remember, and start out. And what will happen, I can promise you this, what will happen when you write, I don't remember, you will have a deeper insight into something you thought you already knew. Something will pop out, just like when you walk through the park on a sunny afternoon, or down the lane on a sunny afternoon, or a rainy afternoon for that matter. Something will happen. A bird will fly out you didn't expect. Something will happen. A thought will come. So, I don't remember. That's your prompt. And if you do write something that you really are pleased with, that pleases you, I would be happy to hear it. I would be happy to receive it. It would be a pleasure to get something from you that you've written. And you can email that to me, no problem, nave at jamesnave.com. I will get it, and I will be glad to receive it. So, I don't remember. What is it you don't remember? What is it inside your imagination that keeps surprising you? I'm curious. Do tell. And on that note, I will say thank you so much for tuning in, and also remind you that Allegra Houston and I do our Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week gathering every Saturday, and we play around like you and I have just played around with the I Don't Remember prompt. So if you have an inclination to write, an inclination to tell stories, an inclination just to enjoy the company of other people who are telling stories, then you can always find the Zoom link for our Saturday morning gathering at imaginativestorm.com, and it is a a Zoom gathering that welcomes everyone, and there's never a charge for that. We would love to have you as a workshop. This is a salon, a salon, a conversation, and a time to, to, to tell those stories. Hopefully we'll see you there, and thank you ever so much for tuning in to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations with listening to and remembering an imaginative storm podcast. I'm your host, James Nave. Thanks, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. And you can always reach me, Nave at ImaginativeStorm.com, Nave at ImaginativeStorm.com. So, thanks again. I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.